Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Hey, welcome to Growing in Grace. So glad you came. Uh, We've already been praying that today's uh, broadcast would be a blessing to you. And so thank you so much for visiting with us. I want to share some uh, thoughts with you from the book of Lamentations. You know, a lament is like a very strong or loud cry. And Lamentations, all five chapters are definitely sorrow-filled songs. It's almost like the prophet Jeremiah was singing the blues. One time I was traveling with my guitar and a man on the the bus that uh, picks you up from the parking lot and brings you to the uh, terminal. He asked me if I was B.B. King. And I said, no, I'm just a wannabe. (laughs) But anyway, I don't know if you like the blues or not, but I got a feeling that wherever you are in your life, that today it's going to be a good day. God's going to bless you through this. You know, uh, the setting behind the verses that we're about to read from uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, was actually a national emergency. Uh, Jeremiah writes in verse 1 that uh, Judah, and especially Jerusalem, was under the rod of God's wrath. And so that's where they were. The Babylonians were uh, just finishing a 30-month-long siege of uh, Jerusalem. And so by this point, uh, the capital, Jerusalem, was basically destroyed. You can read the sad account of it in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 12 as well. But the date, they tell us, is either 586, 587 B.C., somewhere right in there. But what he's seeing through his own eyes was widespread devastation. He was definitely himself dropping into a personal despair. You ever get discouraged? You ever get depressed? You ever feel despair? It's a sinking feeling. He says in chapter three, verses one through three, listen to him. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Who is he? It's God. He feels that God's against him. You know, if you keep reading down through here, you'll find out that he felt there was no escape. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3, He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. Do you feel that way? Have you ever felt that way? What about from other people? Do you get a lot of uh, attaboys and pats on the back? Or is it sometimes challenging for you? Well, for Jeremiah, the prophet, there were a lot of people who did not agree with his message. And so verse 14 says that he felt he had become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. 
Can you imagine going through this? Well, verses 17 and 18 tells us where it, where it landed. Where it landed was a very dark place for Jeremiah. Perhaps today is a dark place for you. I want you to know that there is a way out and we're going to see a turn in Jeremiah's feelings, in his heart, in his perspective, in his thought life. He says in verse 17 and 18, though, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. That's a pretty dark place, isn't it? When you feel that you've lost your hope. I'm sure that there was a man named Horatio Spafford in the 1800s who felt that way. Horatio Spafford lived from 1828 to 1888. He was a prominent Chicago attorney. He was also a man of faith. He was a good friend of evangelist D.L. Moody, but he also was a family man. He had a wife, Anna. He had four daughters. He invested some of his wealth in uh, the northern part of Chicago. But if you know anything about the history of Chicago, then you would know that in February of 1871, it was a great fire. Unfortunately, it destroyed much of his wealth, much of his property. And so uh, he had to rebuild. It was a tough time in Horatio's life. But a couple of years later, it was tougher for his wife. His wife began to have health problems. He said, you know, with all the rebuilding I've been doing, it's time for us to go have a change. So he set up an extended vacation for them in Europe. So in 1873, he put his wife and his children, his children at that time were 11, 9, 5, and 2. He put them on a ship bound for Paris. He said to them, look, I've got some final things I need to wrap up in my work. I'll be with you shortly. Unfortunately, the ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel. It sank to the bottom of the Atlantic. With it, the lives of 226 passengers, all of Horatio Spafford's children, perished. Anna alone was spared. Somehow, whenever the collision took place, Anna was thrown onto a piece of the ship that was floating. It was just a piece of wood. But a, a ship later came by, a rescue vessel, and, and was able to rescue her and take her to safety. Nine days later, Horatio Spafford would get an, a telegram from his wife, Anna, that had two words, saved alone. Spafford went to hurry and be with his wife as quickly as he could. Somewhere in the Atlantic, the captain, knowing what had taken place in Spafford's family, he wrote, uh, he told him, this is where your wife's vessel went down. He said, I'll give you a few minutes out here on the uh, ship. So Spafford, looking over the water, began to uh, think about losing his family. And he actually wrote a song. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. It's phenomenal when a man would write words like these, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. But for Jeremiah, the prophet, it was not well with his soul, as I just read to you earlier. As a matter of fact, we're going to pick up 
in verse 21. But the verse just before this, verse 20, continues that downward feeling, the downward spiral that he was going through. Jeremiah the prophet wrote in verse 20 of chapter 3, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. All he could think about was all the people who had perished. All he could think about was the life they had in Jerusalem before the siege. I don't know all of those things that would come to his mind, but something new happened in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. If you are sinking in despair, then I want to to give you something to think about other than your circumstances, other than what is bringing you down today, I want to give you five thoughts that would take you up because I promise you that hope floats. Hope floats. What we have to do is we have to remember the right kind of things in order to recalibrate our hearts and our minds, our soul, our spirit. So I want to give you five principles that will help you whenever you are going through a very dark time. The first thing is remember God's character. God's character will cause your hope to float. You know, circumstances in 586 BC, let's face it, they were bleak, they were dark, they were harsh. But here's what he says that he remembered and then he had hope. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. What would you say are some of God's attributes? The attributes that really give you hope, the attributes that bring you up. You know, there's a a wonderful book written by a man from the past named A.W. Tozer. It's called The Attributes of God. I love that book. He also wrote many books, but another one is The Pursuit of God. But the burden on A.W. Tozer's heart was, I want to remind my generation of who God is. I want to remind my generation of who God is. God's love is a steadfast love. It never ceases. There's a cluster of God's character qualities that were revealed to Moses. He was on the mountain. Exodus 34, 6 gives us this one snippet of what God said about himself. God says to Moses that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. I thought it was interesting that the character quality, the attribute of love was the one that God himself said, I'm abounding in this character quality. I'm sure we would say his wisdom, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his goodness, His truth, they also abound in his character. And you would be right. But God himself says, 
the one thing you can count on about me that's never going to cease is I am a God of love. Isn't that interesting? Here he was, the siege of Jerusalem, 30 months long, famine within the city. The army of Judah, well, they're retreating. They're getting out of there. The temple, the palace, the city have been burned. Many of the people have been deported and exiled. There's looting across the capital of Jerusalem. They breached the city walls. How in the world could any man speak of hope at this moment? What gave him hope was he said, you know what? God is love. I want to pass that along to you. Remember the character of God and it will cause your hope to float again. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say his mercies never come to an end. I want to give you a second thing, therefore, to think about. Remember God's compassion will cause your hope to float as well as his character. It says his mercies. Do you know that the word mercy there in the Hebrew is from the word rehem, which in Hebrew means the womb. Have you ever thought about how a newborn can do nothing? A newborn depends on his or her mother to do everything. They can't clean themselves up. They can't feed themselves. They're so dependent. That's how really we are. And especially whenever we've made serious mistakes, how uplifting a thought for a city that was under judgment for their own sins to remember and to think about God's mercy. Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet, if you're familiar with the Old Testament. There was another prophet named Micah. He lived uh, about a hundred years or so before Jeremiah. Listen to what that prophet, Micah, says in chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. I think he knew the same thing about God's compassion. He wrote these words in Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that marvelous? I think that's so incredible that Micah, the prophet, was entrusted with a twofold message, a message of judgment, impending judgment, if the people did not repent. But he also was entrusted with a message of hope for when they do repent, when they do turn back to God, that God will be merciful. I just think that's incredible. That ought to cause your hope to rise in your heart today. But let me give you a third one. I believe that remembering God's commitment will cause your hope to float. You see, it says in verse 23 that God's mercies, they're new every morning. Will you ever wake up one day and suddenly God says, that's it, I'm done with mercies. Well, he says here, his mercies are new every morning. That means this morning. That means tomorrow morning. God's mercies are fresh and new. They're available. You know, they're available just like whenever God led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. 
They didn't do things God's way. And so for 40 years, they had to wander around in a wilderness. Do you know that God, even though they had been disobedient, even though he was not happy with their actions, he still said, you can count on me. You may not be committed to me, but I'm committed to you. And you know what he did? Every morning for 40 years, God provided manna. And all they had to do was go to him, go out there and collect that manna every single day. You know, God's always committed to his people, to his covenant, to his promises. As a matter of fact, have you ever seen a rainbow? The other night we saw a rainbow last week. There was a rainbow here in our community. But Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17, is an interesting account of how the rainbow came about. It's, it's a sign. It's a symbol. God made a promise when he made the first rainbow. And his promise was, I'll never flood the earth again. This was a promise made after he had just flooded the earth in judgment. Do you know that now, 4,000 years later, He's still keeping that promise. Whenever we see the rainbow in the sky, it's the Lord's way of saying, I still got you. I'm still staying true to what I promised. You know, uh, this prophet named Jeremiah, well, God had revealed something to him about where they were in Jeremiah chapter uh, 29. It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that interesting? God said, you're only going to be over there 70 years, and I promise you, I'm committed to you that I will bring you back. I love that. I love that. You know, especially because even in Lamentations 3, 31 to 33, the Lord says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God doesn't want to hurt us. He only wants to bless us and to love on us, but he does want us to follow him. Let me give you two more. We'll wrap it up. The fourth thing that I would have you to think about, to remember during hard times and dark times. Remember his consistency. Remember his consistency. I know that will cause your hope to once again float. He says here, great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah is remembering God's faithfulness. You know, God is reliable. He's trustworthy. David learned that even when he was being afflicted in Psalm 119, verse 75, he says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Will it ever come to an end? Well, in Psalm 100 and verse 5, David says, his faithfulness goes to all generations. I know God was faithful to Jeremiah. I know God was faithful to Joshua. Joshua even said in his generation, not one word of all his good promises have failed. But what about in our generation? Well, God's still giving us air to breathe, water to drink. He's still putting that rainbow up there when it rains to let us know he's not going to wipe us out. I'm so grateful that God is so consistent. He is so faithful. You know, I 
remember a book by Philip Yancey where he goes to Yellowstone National Park here in the United States. It's a beautiful park. There's a geyser that will kind of blow off steam at certain times of the day. So this author, Philip Yancey and his wife were over there and there they were in the restaurant, ready to see the geyser just blow its top. And it did. And everybody in the restaurant was saying, ooh, ah, look at that. That's so cool. But you know what? The, the waitress and those that were collecting all the dishes and the dirty dishes and so forth, they never even looked up. Philip Yancey said, thought to himself, they see this every day. Is it ever possible that we could see God's faithfulness so consistently every single day that suddenly before we realize it, it no longer causes us to ooh and to ah. We're no longer in wonder and awe over what he's done today. So I just wanted to say, let's not be like the staff that was at that restaurant at uh, Yellowstone. Let's always say, when the faithfulness of God is on display in my life today, I'm going to give him thanks today. If you'll do that, I guarantee you your hope is going to float again. Well, let me give you one last one. Remember his conclusion, and I think it will cause your hope to float. What is the conclusion? Well, the conclusion is God's going to tell us, hey, you remember that I am your portion. He says in verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Ephesians 1 verse 18 reminds every believer that our inheritance is a glorious inheritance. He actually says it's the hope to which we have been called. What is our glorious inheritance? Well, there's many different facets of it, many different parts of it, but I would definitely say one thing that's a part of our inheritance is that time in heaven when we'll go to be with him. So why would a child of God be known for their despair, known for their depression and their discouragement whenever we're headed toward a wonderful future with God? You know, whenever he tells us to wait, you know what he's saying? It'll be time to go, but this is not your time to go. This is your time to wait. And he says, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God is always worth waiting on. I want to close with an illustration that uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon gave concerning this passage. Have you ever noticed off the southern tip of Africa, there's a cape, a dangerous cape, where the waters of the Indian Ocean and the waters of the Atlantic Ocean, they sort of mix. The waves can be treacherous. The winds can be unpredictable. Well, the first European explorer, he was uh, from Portugal, and his name was Bartolomeu Dias. He named that treacherous area the Cape of Storms. He was right. I mean, it could be stormy. It could be dangerous around there. But later, it was renamed by another Portugal Portuguese explorer, John II of Portugal. He knew that the name that was given to it was the 
Cape of Storms. But he also knew something else. The Cape of Storms was only a passageway to a new trade route to India. And so he thought, why would we give it such a terrible dark name, the Cape of Storms, when it's leading to something good for the people of India? So you know what he called it? He renamed it the Cape of Good Hope. The Cape of Good Hope. And you know what? It's still got that name to this day. Oh, you know what? If, if any of us, someone from Portugal, someone from America, perhaps someone from your country, what country are you from? You could put your country in there. Anywhere that someone is from, they could focus on the danger of the journey. And they could say, you know what? This life is a cape of storms. Or if we know Jesus Christ, we could focus on the hope of the destination and say, wait a minute, I've got something I can look forward to. Yes, it's true. Today is hard. I have some difficult things that I'm facing in my life, but I need to remember that I'm headed for a distant shore where there's no more sickness and no sorrow. There's no death. There's no separation. Good things are ahead for those that know Jesus Christ personally. That's why I always want to be careful whenever I end a Growing in Grace broadcast to remind you, please, friend, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God loves you. He wants you to be in heaven with him so bad. He made a passageway. And I know there's storms in this life, but this life is not it. Where we're going is going to be so much better. You know, there's one passage where he says, it's not even entered into the heart of man, all that God has planned for those who love him. So I'm just encouraging you, when you get down, you read this passage in Lamentations 3, 21 down through uh, verse 26, because these principles caused Jeremiah in the midst of a very dark time in his life, a very dark season, he was able to say, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. One verse before, he had said he was bowed down. His soul was bowed down within him. Why? Because he was thinking about all of the circumstances. Why don't you think about the cross? Why don't you think about heaven? Why don't you think about God's character and God's consistency? Listen, we can have hope in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for all my friends out there. I don't know all that they're facing. They may be facing some very real life devastation, just like Jeremiah. Perhaps it's in their health. Maybe it's in their home, their family. Maybe it's in their job. Maybe it's at school. Uh, I don't know what could be really burdening their hearts. But I know this, that there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in the joy of the Lord. There's hope in the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And so would you today let their hope be restored? Restore hope into their soul so that they can stand beside those who've gone before us and say, you know what? I have hope because of what God has done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, you have a good rest of your day. Thanks again for joining us at Growing in Grace.
This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.